Amen. Well, dear church family and friends, uh, we'll be considering the first commandment of God that we read earlier in Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 28, uh, sorry, verses 30 and 31. The first commandment of God, whereupon all the commandments hang. And before we get to that particular, our text today, um, if you were to ask the average professing Christian in, our, in, the, in the much nominal Christianity we have here in, in the West, if you were to ask the average nominal Christian, how, how, how is a man to be saved? How, are you a, how do you become a Christian? And I, and I ask this um, respectfully because I believe we're living in such days where many people don't actually understand, because of the confusion, what it is to truly be converted, what it is to truly be saved. And as we went out on the high street yesterday and, and the day before, and we seek to have Christ known, I just, the, sometimes there are Christians that come up to me and they say, I'm a Christian, I don't need a track, and I, and I respectfully ask them a question. How are you... How, how are you a Christian? Or how have you become a Christian? I, I'm not trying to be uh, mean. I, I sincerely care for their souls. And the, the more often than not, I get, uh, probably three, three times out of four, I get the same answer that comes back to me. And they, they often say to me, uh, well, I'm, I'm a Christian because... I, don't, I no longer go to the pub anymore. I go to this well-established church now. And I do these things in my life. And it's more about what they're not now. I'm not what I used to be. I'm, I, I go to this church now. I'm aware of this sin. I'm not like those people that do those things anymore. I don't, I don't go to those places anymore. And this is a, the typical answer which we're getting. It's, it's, it's about what they are not, not. But friends, this is a fundamental mistake, which I believe many in, our, in the West here are under this social gospel. And it's not what, what we are not anymore. Anyone can reform their life. Anyone can stop doing things. It's really what you've become. What have you become? What is the difference that the gospel has made in your life? They're, they're, you see, according to the, the commandment here, God makes a radical, a radical transformation and a change in one's heart, in one's soul, in one's understanding, in one's entire life. It's life-changing. The gospel is life-changing. And so that's what I, I would like us to set our hearts and concentrations on. You know, when we come to the word of God, let us examine our own hearts and, and, and deeply think, am I a true Christian? Has there been a time in my life where I've completely changed now and my heart is set upon eternity, upon the matters of the soul, upon the matters of Christ? Am I serving him with my life now? Or is it just about just doing good things? Well, that, that will really be our concentration for this Lord's Day. The first and second commandment. The summary which the Lord Jesus here gives us 
in Mark's Gospel 12, 30 and 31. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ says, of course, with great authority, because he is the son of the living God. He says in verse 30, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And verse 31, and the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So we see here the two commandments, the two holy commandments of God. Get this right, friends, spiritually speaking. Get this right and everything else falls into place. Get it wrong, dear friends. Get the, the, the understanding of the commandments wrong. Then everything, everything falls apart. We must get this right. And so to begin with, it says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God. The Lord Jesus Christ here puts the emphasis upon you and upon me. You see, this is a personal calling that God calls us. He says, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God. You see, it's a personal thing between you and God. The problem with much of the, the Christianity in the West today, sadly, is it's all about other people. It's all about, it's all about, well, it's all about them. What, like I mentioned, what they're not doing in the world. I'm, I'm different from what, what they're not doing. It's like the publican and the Pharisee. The, the publican, the Pharisee says, well, I tithe twice a week and I, I do all these things and I, and, and, uh, but I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not like that publican over there. I, I, I'm not like him. And see, much of our Christianity is, is about looking on the evil and the sin. Do come in. Looking at the evil and the sin within the world. Looking at the evil and sin within the world and saying, I'm not like that. I, I, I'm, I'm not blinded to that evil in the world, that corruption in the world. There's so much sin and evil in the world. And what the devil does is he gets us to concentrate on all the sin and the evil in the world and you know what that does? It takes us away from our biggest problem. Looking at the sin and the evil within our own hearts. That's the problem. That's the main problem. As that we have. We look upon sin and evil and say, well, I'm not like that. I'm not like that pleb down the street. I'm, I, I don't do those things. I go to this church. Or I do this and I do that. I'm not like that. You see, that's how the devil blinds many of our hearts. He gets us to look at people or things or institutions and, and the problem is, is we don't look within our own hearts. But you see here, the Lord really brings it home here very, very quickly. And thou, thou, you, you, personally, your name, you, thou, me and you, thou shalt love the Lord your God. You see, when, when, God comes again. When the Lord Jesus comes again, it's not going to be you and, and other people that you're collectively you're going to be standing. It's you. You're not going to be able to say, well, I, would, I, I wasn't like that person. I wasn't a person that did not go to church. I went to church and I did tithe or I did do this and I did do that. You see, 
what, what it's going to come down to is whether you have a real relationship with God. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Notice here that the most frequently used word in the Lord's commandment here is the word all. It's the word all. We could very we could we could just skip over that. It's the word all, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And again, the Lord Jesus is speaking to us. He's saying, Not some of your hearts, not some of your soul, not some of your mind. Sometimes we, 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 we think, well, being a Christian is I can give over certain things to God. I can obey God with certain things, but, but I, don't want to give, I don't want to give my whole understanding. Do, do you mean I have to, my thought life, that God has to be in charge of my thought life, my imaginations, my understanding? Do you, do you mean I have to, my decision making, I have to bring that to him as well? What about my affection, my desire? You see, the Lord Jesus here gets to the crux of the matter. God wants your heart and he wants your mind and he wants all of it. He doesn't want some of your heart. He doesn't want some of your mind. He doesn't want some of your strength. He wants it all. And so the Lord Jesus is saying here to love him for who he is. He is the God of Israel. He is the true God. All the other gods of this world that we make our gods, they're false gods. They cannot help us. They're impotent to help us. But the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the one true God, the creator God, the savior God, the one that keeps uh, covenanted promises forever to those who truly believe in him. Well, he is the true God. And we must love him for who he is. Because he is the great benefactor behind all good in the universe. He is the source of all goodness. We live and breathe and, and live off him. Every good thing that we have, children, wife, husband, food, uh, rain, sunshine, he gives us all these things. You see, all the source of goodness comes from the Father of lights. We must love him for who he is, the God of Israel. The true God. And you see, friends, his words never fail. If we truly believe that the God of Israel is the, the, the creator God, he is one God, and we must worship him as one God, and not mix other gods with him, and that we must come. If we truly seek him, we must come all in. We must come all in. We must not hold anything back from God. You see, God wants us to come with everything, everything on the table. A true forsaking of sin, a true forsaking of this world, and come to him. All in, everything, a life for a life. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. You see, if we truly believe in this, if we truly believe that it is the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, and he promises that he will save us 
If we truly believe in who he is, that he is the creator God and he is the saviour God, and that every word that he has said, every promise he has said concerning his son, will become true of us. If we truly believe that, then there will be a change of heart. He promises that. He will fundamentally, radically change our hearts. And we see this in the, in the first commandment here. Well, we see here in the first commandment a divine order. There is a divine order. And it begins with the heart. It then moves on to the soul. It then moves on to the mind. And it then moves to the strength. There is a divine order here. And it begins with the throne of our affection. You see, God wants our hearts. He doesn't want an outward show of piety. He wants an inward show. He wants an inward work of, of godliness. He wants us to be right in his heart. He wants us to be men and women after his own hearts. You see, it begins, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. It begins with the desire. When it talks about loving God with all your heart, it starts with your desire and your affection. What is our affection and desire? You see, God sees, despite the much nominal Christianity around us, God sees our heart's desire. He sees our affection. He sees what we're giving our hearts to. What do we give our hearts to? This is a fundamental thing. Do we give our hearts to the creator or the creation? Do we love our maker or do we love ourselves and the things of this world? It begins with the heart. It begins with the desire and affection of the heart. And then, of course, it moves on to the soul. The soul here is talking about the spiritual realm. You see, when there's a great work of grace in the heart and someone has changed and they truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour and they're given a, a heart of flesh, a moldable heart, a believing heart, well then this changes their soul. Because you see, our souls are 99.9% of who we are. We are but a fraction flesh. We have been absolutely blinded in our culture to, to think that we are flesh, that we are, to, we are just flesh and, 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 and blood. But dear friends, we have forgotten in our culture that we have an eternal soul, a never-dying soul. So when someone truly believes in the Saviour, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the God of Israel, and in his salvation and in his promises, well then there's a great work of, of grace in the heart, and that changes someone's outlook on their soul. And what do I mean by that? Well, you see, friends, our soul needs feeding. That's our problem, you see. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. You see, our souls are the greater part of who we are. We are, we are made for God for eternity. We belong to him. We do not belong to ourselves. We're gods. He owns us. He has created us. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows what's in our minds. He who has formed the mind, will he not know what's in it? He that has made us, he knows what's in our hearts. He knows us better than ourselves. The word of God says he knows the imaginations of the thoughts afar off. 
Think about that. He knows our thoughts even before we know them. And so the question is, have you been woken up to the matters of your soul, of your never-dying, eternal soul that God has given you? And if you have, that means that you will prioritize what the, what the Bible teaches about the means of grace. You will prioritize feeding your soul because your soul means more than your body now. Your soul is going to last forever. Your body is going to, like a flower, it's going to fade and die. But the seed of the soul is going to, what's going to be raised up again. That's what's going to last. And the problem with us, and even sometimes, even as Christians, we can forget about this, that our soul is going to last for eternity. Where is it going to go? You see, we must be woken up to this very fact. If you have been woken up and you truly sought the Lord Jesus Christ, the promise of his salvation, that through the God of Israel, through the promise that he made to Abraham, that through the seed of Abraham, all the nations of the world would be blessed and every single nation upon earth would see salvation coming to it through that promised seed. And everyone that put their trust in the promise of God that the Saviour would come and save people by his grace and a great multitude out of every kindred, out of every tribe, and they would be so great that the heavens, there would be like shining stars in the darkness through the Saviour. And if you truly believe in that, you truly believe in that, that Christ is able to save your soul, give you a new heart by what he has done on the cross of Calvary, by his merits, that will deeply and radically transform your heart but also, your soul will be changed as well. You will, you, you will start to feed your soul. You'll want to read your Bible. You'll have a desire to read God's Word. There will be a new principle wrought and quickened by the Holy Spirit of God. That when you truly believe in His Son for your salvation, it's a personal thing. That the Holy Spirit, you'll be born of the Holy Spirit. You'll have a new principle to feed your soul, to be amongst God's people, to be used for his kingdom. It's called the means of grace. God gives us means and you want to feed your soul. That's what it's implying here by loving God with all your soul. Because I want every day to wake up and pray to my God to feed my soul, the greater part of who I am. I want to live for him. You see, God makes us prioritize our souls. Is this true of us, dear friends? Are we loving God with our soul? Are we prioritizing the matters of the soul? The eternal, the will, has our wills changed? Our desires changed? And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And with all thy soul, there's a divine order here, isn't there? And then it goes on to the mind. Well, what is it talking about when it talks about the mind? It talks about the understanding. Your understanding has changed. Your heart has changed. 
Your soul has changed because you're now feeding your soul, because your heart has changed, and then your mind has changed. You want to, you want to live for God, and you think upon God, and it's not just about, and again, this is what the devil does. Look at all the evil in the world. Look at all the corruption in high powers. Look at all, that's not the point. What about my heart? What about my understanding? What am I setting my understanding upon? My understanding, my thought life, my imaginations. Does, does God reign in your imagination? Does God reign in the decision-making process in your thought life? You see, this is what it is to be a true born-again Christian, is to be honest with God from your heart and from your mind and from your soul. God sees your thought life. He sees your imagination. He sees that in me. You know, before I was a Christian, I used to tell people, I'm a Christian. But God didn't own my thought life. I, I looked upon things didn't, didn't bother me at all. My, I imagined things that didn't bother me at all. I didn't commit to sit the big decisions in life to God. I, it just didn't bother me at all. But you see, when God saved me, he owns my thought life now. He owns my imagination. If, if I think upon something wicked, and this is the same with every Christian, true Christian, that they, they, in the end they take it to the Lord. And there is a, a true repentance there. There's a, a, God reigns in the understanding and in the, in, the, and in the heart. And so it must lead through to the mind. The mind and then it moves, of course, on to the strength. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength and with all thy strength. This is talking about oh, the strength that God gives us. God feeds us and gives us rain and sunshine and feeds us with food and gives us our homes and gives us our families, gives us our health in order to feed our souls. Think about that. He doesn't feed us so that we can adorn our bodies and just eat and drink and be merry and watch telly. He, he gives us food to feed our souls. The energy that we're given, dear friends, is so that we can sing his praise, so that we can speak of his glory, so that we can act upon his word and live by faith. Noah was a preacher of righteousness and he believed in God and he acted upon his faith. He used his strength and energy to live for God. Is that true of us? Are we using the energy, the, 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 our lips, our mouth, the, the senses that God has given us, our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our whole bodies, are we using it for him? Are we mindful of that? And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Friends, this is not optional. This, this is a commandment from God. And this is absolutely just of God, because he has made us for himself. Imagine you have a child and you do everything 
to feed that child and nurture that child and bring that child up in, in God's ways. And you do your utmost to nourish and care for that child. And then that child just ignores you. In fact, that child does the opposite. Doesn't listen to you. Starts swearing at you. Starts shouting at you. I'm going to do what I want to do in life. Starts to completely ignore everything that you say. Well, that's what we are like by nature. The Bible says we are rebel sinners from God. You see, God owns us. The, the, the problem in our society is we, that we keep being told that you belong to yourself. You're number one. Live for yourself. But that's not true. Our bodies and our souls belong to God. They're on lease to us. They're on rent to us. They belong to, to God. And one day he will require it at our hands. And so, friends, our souls, our hearts, our minds, our whole lives, they belong to God. What are you doing? What, what, what am I doing with the, the soul and body and life that God has given me? That's the question. That's the question. Well, the fundamental thing is, dear friends, is if you read the, work, the, the, the commandments, Exodus 20, the commandments of God, come on, you will see that no man could have made the commandments of God. What, 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 which one of us would have penned the words, thou shalt not covet? The, 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 the commandments are, are divine. They're given of God. They're, they are the basis of morality. All of us, dear friends, fall way shorter of the commandments of God. And this, this really is the crux of the matter, is that all of us, dear friends, miss the bullseye of obedience. Every single one of us. We have not loved God with all of our hearts, have we? I'm the, I'll, I'll be the first one to put my hand up and say, I haven't loved God with all my heart. I haven't loved God with all my soul. I have not always fed my soul. I've, I've often been more inclined to feed my body and, and, to, to, be, and to be selfish. I have not loved God with all my mind. I haven't always thought upon him. He hasn't always owned my imagination, my thoughts, my decision-making process. And I haven't always loved my neighbour as myself. And friends, when we think about it, we could all put our hands up and say, I'm a guilty, hell-deserving sinner because I have broken every single one of your commandments. I have fallen short of the standard that God has, expect, has expected from me. I, I have broken every one of your commandments. But you see, dear friends, this is the wonderful thing about the gospel. Is that the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, he always obeyed the commandments. You see, he was made like us. In, in all his ways, he was tempted, but without sin. He was fully God and fully man, so he understands what we go through. He understands the, 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 the affirmity of our afflictions. He understands how we can be tempted and what we go through. But you see, he, he was like us, but he was fully God as well. He always honoured his Father. He always did that which is good. He never stole, he always gave. You see, he, he not only kept the commandments, he also did the opposite of the commandments. He always did that which is righteous. He always did, did that which was good. You see, in order for any of us to enter into a holy, righteous heaven, we not only have to keep the commandments perfectly, because no sin, 
Nothing that defiles can ever enter into into heaven. No uncleanness, no law breaking can enter into heaven. Else God would not be a just God. There must be perfect obedience. But also there must be perfect righteousness. The Son of God kept the commandments perfectly. He perfectly obeyed his Father. He perfectly did that which is righteous. All the time, every year of his life, he perfectly did that which is righteous. But then, on that cross of Calvary, on that cross of Calvary, friends, he suffered and died an agonizing, cruel death. Well, why did he do that? Why, why did that happen? Why did the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the innocent, the Holy One, why did the, 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 the Holy One, why did he, he, he have to suffer? Why did he have to be punished? Why did he have to undergo all that torment of his body, but more so his soul? Why did the full wrath and punishment of God in those dark hours have to be poured upon his son? And his son have to go through an agonizing uh, terror of having all the sins of all those who would come to believe in him. Why did he have to endure that almost in eternity of hell for every sinner on that cross? Why did he have to do that? Because he was sinless. He was perfect. He was holy. Friends, he did this out of love and mercy for you. He did that for you. He died on that cross for every single one of your sins. That's why he did it on that cross. Not for one of your sins. Every one of your heart sins, your soul sins, your your body sins, every single sin, past, present and future. That's what he did on that cross. And when the great work of salvation was complete, he said it was finished. It is finished. You see, there's nothing more to add to the gospel. There's nothing more that we can bring to God's salvation. The full and complete work is done. God has has satisfied his just, his justice. God has to has to punish sin. You see, if we come to God and say, well, I've reformed my life and I'm not what I used to be and I I repent of those old things, that leaves us in a courtroom guilty still. We're in the courtroom. We're guilty still. We're still going to go to prison. That leaves us guilty. But you see, God doesn't leave us in that state. He provides us with his son. And his son becomes our advocate. His son steps in the way of the prosecutor, of the judge. He steps in the way and says, I'm going to take, I'm going to take that person's debt of sin. I'm going to pay the full debt of that person's sin. All those heart sins, all those filthy thoughts, all that law breaking, all that uh, disobeying of me, all those years of rebellion against me. And, and, and all the years that person will still fall, I've paid that debt for him. I've paid that full debt for him. That's what, that, that's what the Lord Jesus does for you, dear friends. 
That's what he did on the cross. He paid that full debt. And you know what else? He not only pays your debt, he also pays for your admission into heaven. A complete righteousness. Abraham believed on God and it was imputed to him for righteousness. He gives you his righteousness so that when God looks upon you, he doesn't see your failures, he doesn't see your sins anymore. He doesn't see your heart sins, your mind sins. He sees the imputed righteousness of his son. When he looks upon you, a believing, trembling heart, he sees that you've always obeyed the commandments. That you've always done that which is right. What a wonder this is. That we who are enemies to God, who have rebelled from God, that, that God should so send his son into this world, a sin-sick world of sin, to love us in such a way. There is no greater love than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And friends, I'll tell you now, there's no greater friend than the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that has fulfilled the law of God. And we have broken it. We are guilty. And you see, when we believe in the gospel, that through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we could be made whole again in him. And if we truly believe in that, that his obedience makes up for my disobedience, that my unrighteousness, because I know what to do is right, I know that I must love God all the time, I know that I must, I must feed my soul all the time, that I must prioritise my soul, because that's the greater part of who I am. I know that my energy must be spent on him all the time, I know that I must love as God loves. I know that to love my neighbour. But yet I fall woefully short of the mark. All of us do. And if, if we are sincere, like that publican, and we sincerely and privately come to the Lord and we say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I am a sinner. It's me. I, I am the one. And we truly believe in it. We truly believe that if it wasn't for Christ, we would be going to hell. Well, friends, this work of grace, the, the commandment will have a wonderful work upon our hearts. It will firstly convict us that we need, we need the Lord God. And when we are deeply convicted of our sin and our need of Christ, this wonderful work will happen in our hearts. We will then truly start to love God for the right reasons. Because God will be in us. He will give us his Holy Spirit. You'll be born again. Born of the Holy Spirit of God. When you truly believe in God's promises to you, you will be born of the Holy Spirit of God. God will give you a new heart to love him. To love him with all of your hearts. You see, not some of your hearts. To love him with all your soul. So then you'll start to prioritize and feed your soul. I want to read my Bible. I've got a new desire to read my Bible. I want to be amongst God's people. I want to be used in, uh, in, in God's service. I want to pray and commit my life unto him. And pray and cry to him. The, this commandment will no longer be like a chain upon you. It will be, uh, it will be liberating. You will love it. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. 
Do you believe it, friends? That's what it comes down to. Do you believe? Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe that Jesus Christ, the Saviour, died on that cross of Calvary for every one of your sins? And if you believe in it, he promises that he will give you a new heart, a heart to love him, a heart, a heart after his own heart, like that he did with David. And a heart that means that you'll start to, you, you'll, you'll start to be honest with God from your heart. It doesn't matter what other people think of you. Other people can think, oh, what a wonderful Christian. Look, they go to this church or they, they, they are so kind or they do this and they do that. But you see, what God looks at is he looks at your heart. If your heart has changed, your desire has changed, your affection has changed. If you love his word, if you love his people, if you love his causes, you're now living for the matters of your soul and eternity and Christ. You're feeding your soul. You see, when the Lord Jesus speaks this, he wants, to, he wants us to take this on board, this commandment. Are we living for the matters of our soul and eternity? Do we truly love him in this way? Has there been a new principle wrought in our hearts to love him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength? This is the first commandment. And the second is like unto the first. The second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And there is none other commandment greater than these. Well, you see, the second commandment, friends, a lot of people, and, and, and again, I don't mean to be critical, but, but the much Christianity we, we see in our society is all about the second commandment. It's all about, it's all about the social gospel, Loving, uh, being kind to my neighbour and being civil and going to church, a bit, bit of a social club. And those things are nice, don't get me wrong. It's nice to, to be loving and kind, but that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, is if, you, if you're truly converted and you have a heart for the Lord. You see, you cannot truly love your neighbour. You cannot truly love your neighbour as yourself if you do not love God first. It's just a pretense. We must love God first, you see. God must be first before we love our neighbour. And to love your neighbour is to love your neighbour's soul. You see, that's the difference. And sometimes our neighbours need to be, need to, need, we, need to tell, we need to speak to our neighbours about things they need to, to hear, not things they, 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 they want to hear. That's the, the, the difference in our culture, you see, is we have this Christianity, which is a second table Christianity. I just need to be a nice person and be kind and give to charity and go to church. These are good things. But if that's all we do, that is not right. Because our hearts and our souls need to be right with God first. We must love him first. And you see then, and only then, when God has our life, we can then only truly love our neighbour as ourselves. And that means that we're willing to lay down our life for, for our neighbours. We think of the New Testament uh, apostles and churches. They were li- willing to li- lay down their life for their enemies. Why was that? It was because they loved God more than anyone. You see, it has to start with the first commandment. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God 
with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Of course, when it talks about the neighbour, it's talking about your fellow man. It's not just talking about those who you get on with or those who perhaps uh, you've got things in common with. It's talking about people who you completely disagree with. People who are perhaps in, in, in any normal walk of life can actually be hostile to you. Pe- people who are completely contrary to your way of life. You see, God's love makes, makes you want to love the unlovely. Because you were once unlovely and I was once unlovely. This is what the love of God does. To love God and to love our neighbour requires your whole life. That's what it's talking about here. A life for a life. Is this true of us, dear friends? You know, it wasn't true, it wasn't true of me for many, many years. I'd, I just thought being a Christian was just being a nice person. Just going to church. You, being a Christian requires your whole life. A life for a life. Our sinful lives for Christ's holy lives. There's no comparison, is there? Well, I hope and pray, dear friends, that we will truly seek the Lord so that we can have, that we can have this new heart, this heart that God can change through the gospel and a soul that seeks to feed upon him and a mind that seeks to think upon him and be governed by him and that our lives may be used for his glory. Amen. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Tiverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com.